0: This episode of Heavy Cardboard is brought to you from the great folks over at Gamesurplus.com, bringing the world of board games to you. Now, onto the show. Cardboard Episode 94, Vending Machines and the Creative Process. Coming to you from Tokyo East, a la Denver, Colorado, via Salt Lake City, welcome to Heavy Cardboard where we talk medium and heavy strategy board games, war games, 18xx, and tonight other related topics in the board gaming hobby. We're your hosts. I'm Edward. And I'm Amanda. So the advent on and on and on. And it will never (laughs) ever end. And no, I'm actually I'm doing better than I thought I would be at this point. Here we are over halfway Mm -hmm. now. And yeah, feeling pretty good. Good. I actually took most of the day off today. Kinda to recharge and just okay. All right. I needed that. All right. Let's get ready for the second half, even though we're just over half. But you get the idea.
1: Yeah, well, good. I'm glad that you were able to do that.
0: Yeah. So how were you feeling about the advent and everything that's going with it?
1: Well, um, last weekend, pretty much, my body was like, bitch, slow it down. (laughs) Um, Felt like I was getting sick, like coming down with a cold or something. And um, so I, I pretty much took the weekend off. I stayed on the couch, took intermittent naps while packing Orders. Well, shipping orders, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so, yeah, I did that all day Saturday, and then Sunday we kind of laid low as well. So I, I was feeling better by Monday, but I'm just still exhausted. So I'm just not getting enough sleep.
0: It's coming soon. Yeah. So another ten days, eleven days, whatever it is. And but no, are you enjoying this process I though?
1: I am enjoying it. It's just it, it's just tiring. Sure. But I've got if I didn't have this along with having to work overtime at work. I think at my day job, I think that would help, but it's it's all of the work all of the time for me.
0: Fair enough, but I, I've tried to manage,
2: for
1: lack you of have, a better yeah, way to put it. Yeah, it, you've managed me well. It's just, it's still a lot. Yeah,
0: no doubt. There's only so much that, you know, you can, that, I mean, there are thing aspects of this that I cannot yeah, do. Yeah, so. and
1: like on Monday, whenever I finally laid down to go to sleep, I had not, I had gone for 20 solid hours.
0: Well, for what it's worth, I appreciate well, it. Thank I, you. I imagine the folks out there watching and listening also appreciate it.
1: I'm sure. I hope so. I
0: imagine they do. <laughs> so Jordan was here visiting Jordan he Draper, uh, designer, publisher, guy behind Dark Flight Games. So import export the uh, turn market mm-hmm. reprint and the upcoming Tokyo Metro and Tokyo series of games. That was kind of fun. It wasn't was. It?
1: it was. It was fun to have a new face around. You know, somebody that we just barely knew that, but we liked his games and.
0: And we met him in Essen, mm-hmm. and he was a friendly, dude. Yeah. Right. Well, you guys are going to hear a whole lot more from him uh, <laughs> later on in this episode. So we actually pulled an audible mm-hmm. on you guys. So the original plan was quantitative paleontology, which is supposed to be uh, our kind of cute mashup between Q.E. and Lego. And mm-hmm. we were going to do kind of. In-depth trailers for both of those. Yeah. But with Jordan here, we were like, "Wait a minute! I might as well sit down for an interview." And it wasn't going to work for a conversations live on the internet because we weren't going to actually be able to do that until late last night. Right. So we decided to put it in here. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, you guys enjoy that. Yeah, hope so. So speaking of which, yesterday was also even though Jordan was here, we had really good food. We had a lot of fun on the turn market stream we and did. all that. It was a really sad day for me.
1: Whoa,
0: the loaner card was returned. Whoa, Whoa. for those that didn't hear, uh, our commuter car, our or 2005 Honda Civic, got sideswiped while I was at BGGCon
1: and in my, the parking lot at my job.
0: And so we finally got it taken in a couple weeks ago, and they were like, "Well, got some bad news for you. Uh, for a loaner car, all we have is a 2018 convertible BMW." <laughs> Oh fooey, yeah, I burnt the muffin.
1: Twist my arm.
0: So when we brought the the car back yesterday, they hadn't replaced the uh they hadn't replaced the windshield and I was like, "Hey guys, <laughs> if y'all need to keep the car for another month or two, it's okay." <laughs> No worries. Take your time. Um, celebrate the holidays. Spend some time Absolutely. with your family. Take some time off. Yeah, definitely. It's it, it's all about you know quality of life right it's now. For their you guys. comfort is what's more important than and, anything, really. And it didn't work. <laughs> but they didn't listen. <laughs> they got a kick out of that though. But we did have it for two weeks, and I found an excuse to leave the house every day. <laughs> oh, what's that? What Asher Asher needs treats. Oh, oh. hey, look, we're oh. out of orange juice. Oh
1: man, I guess I have to go to the
0: star if i must so that was yeah (laughs) but yeah so that was awesome it's the nicest car i've ever driven Yeah, nicest car i've ever been in and i feel like it i fit the car and the car fit me really well the what what didn't fit though is the price tag at what that car starts at yes (laughs) so um back to the 05 civic okay (laughs) all right noted all right got it so while Jordan was here, we uh planned on taking him to one of our favorite Mexican restaurants that we found up in Brighton, mm-hmm. which is a little town just north of Denver. And uh yeah, they were they were they were under construction.
1: Yes, I was so sad. But we found another place that's not as good, but really good still. Oh really?
0: I I thought it was just as good.
1: No, I don't it's a little eh, below.
0: Okay. So we found this other uh Mexican restaurant mm-hmm. on the way, looked up the reviews, said the service sucks, but the food's good, and we're like We're kind of limited on time because we got to get back for, uh, this was the night he flew in. So this Mm -hmm. was for Operation Maccabee. And we're like, yeah, we'll try it. We go in there. And the food was, I thought, fantastic. You know, it's Mm Tex-Mex somewhat uh, mixed with authentic Mexican. Yeah. The size of the plates, though, were ridiculous. It man.
1: was dumb. Like, it looks like a hubcap.
0: It really did. Like, we all came out and we all just kind of started laughing. <laughs> like, really? We may have overshot a little bit. <laughs> Yet, Jordan, who is...
1: About 92 pounds soaking wet. Right.
0: He, he's, he's he's very svelte, as, yeah. I, as he and I discussed in the interview <laughs> that you guys will hear. Uh, he was able to pack it away, though, and he was surprised, and I was surprised how hungry I was and did the same, but... <laughs> It was worth it. It was good. Yeah, good it was really food. good. So speaking of shipping earlier, uh, approximately 3 million packages have shipped?
1: About 25, yeah.
0: Okay. All right. Or
1: 17 million. It's pretty close. Right. It's it's what it I felt it like. Is.
0: the The living room is still shipping central for HCHQ. <laughs> still a disaster. Still more packages mm-hmm. coming. Yep. So the goal is to try and get most of those out by the end of the weekend.
1: Yes. That's the plan. So fingers crossed. Yep.
0: It definitely looks like the shipping area of Essen. It does. Like it's it, peanuts. It, yeah. Boxes. swag Tape everywhere. Everywhere. Just, yeah. <laughs> and a tree in the corner. Uh-huh. Very festive. It's
1: very pretty. Right. I mean, Asher's still cute. You know.
0: He's enjoying it. Yeah. 70 degrees though. That's a little queer.
1: Yeah, but it was snowing this morning.
0: It, right. So weird. Just
1: well, it, welcome to Denver.
0: Right. Yeah. Go home, Denver. You're, You're drunk. drunk uh yeah yesterday gorgeous weather jordan when he actually flew in day before yesterday he was like all i brought were cold cold weather clothes it's 70 there it's 34 in salt lake city mm-hmm. he's like we're in the time same zone or same time zone
1: yeah why is it the weather the same right
0: and we're about the same uh was it latitude that is the horizontal i think or longitude but anyway we're we're basically. Very similar, Mm -hmm. just a little bit further west on the other side of the Rockies, yet it's like a 40 degree difference. Yep,
1: but the weather came to send him off home because it was snowing and cold today.
0: Yeah, and I woke up this morning, I was like, oh, hey, I have to take him to the airport. It snowed, was not prepared for that. It didn't really stick much on the roads, but still, I was... I hadn't even thought to look at the weather report. No. Oh, hi, snow. Because
1: every morning I look to see if I need to put my coat on before I get into the car to go to work. And so I looked at my phone and it said, 31, snow. And I was like, huh? Like there was an audible, what?
2: (laughs) I'm surprised (laughs) I didn't wake
1: people up. And Leo was like, Like, why are you talking, human? But yeah, it was. So and then I opened the garage door and there was just white. But
0: I actually, I welcome it because if it's going to be cold... Snow. Yes. Otherwise, be warm and not snow. (laughs) Says the guy who doesn't have the commute now. So there's that. Yeah. uh Um. But yeah, it it was nice to actually be like, oh, hey, it is winter. It is Christmas season. It is December. There is that. All right.
1: So I took Saturday off, so I didn't play anything else. I've only played what you've seen me play on streams recently. So what have you been playing?
0: Well, okay, so we streamed Agra and, well, I streamed Antiquity. Yeah,
1: I wasn't there. Obviously, (laughs) as I spoke about earlier, I kind of took the weekend off, and you could tell if you watched the Antiquity stream.
0: How'd that work out? Not well. (laughs) Uh, We also streamed QE, Operation Maccabee, and... uh, we be, I played Heaven and Ale for the first time, and I was very pleasantly surprised at how good that game was. I really, really like the scoring, and it is brutal, brutal scoring. To where I did not have my whole board covered, I scored a a reasonable forty three points, and then there were others at the table. We'll uh, not name them to to say uh, save the innocent. But I believe here. they used to be bankers. Right, one of them was he scored covered his whole board. Scored, I think, four points, and then another one scored like eight points, covered his <laughs> old board. Just saying. Um, focus on if the game offers final scoring.
1: As Sweater Mike says. Uh,
0: maybe not neglect that. Mm-hmm. How's that? So yeah, that was a lot of fun. We're going to be streaming that on Friday. Also streamed Zolkin. That was really cool to get that back to the table, and it was just fun to to play a a known good game, yeah. you know what I mean? And not all S and hotness. A known and quantity, yeah, it's and, always and don't nice. don't get me wrong, I'm enjoying playing all these games, obviously.
1: But it's still nice, to, I mean, just because it's older doesn't mean it's not fun to get to the table.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's not to discount the newer games, it's no. just, hey, that was, that was kind of nice, Absolutely, right? Absolutely, yeah. And then last night was a really, really big moment for us as a show, as well as just a lot of fun. So if you listen to the Daily Diaries from BGGCon... I had played a game from Dark Flight Games called Turin Market and every, and showed it to a bunch of people and played it with them at BGG Con because I thought it was a truly amazing mm-hmm. game. Everybody that played it wanted it. Unfortunately, Jordan didn't have any copies. Dark Flight Games didn't have any, well, they had two, but then they had them on the marketplace and those got sold. Yeah. So Jordan heard that and he was like, well, how about I just run a pre order and if there's enough interest, you know, over the next few months, then we'll actually print another print mm-hmm. run of it. And I was like, awesome. And he's like, you know what? I was going to forget about the game and just until you talked about it and we'll see what kind of response there was. Well, I don't mean to ruin it for y'all, but as you'll hear during the interview last night, we hit the 3,000 mark in under three days mm-hmm. yesterday. That that felt pretty good because yeah. that was definitive proof in, in definitive immediate feedback for what kind of impact we were yeah. having, right? Because it's really hard to to measure that.
1: And it was fun to... I had my phone over in the corner during the turn market stream and I just kept like stealthily refreshing the page. And it was really cool to see it just rise and rise and rise. And
0: so it w- we hit 3,000 last night and it's over 3,700 when we're recording this uh, the evening after mm-hmm. on Thursday, right before we actually go and edit and release this. So that was... That's really awesome. And he yeah. was he was hoping it would hit within the first couple of months. Yeah, like, and it
1: hit in the first couple of days.
0: Yeah, so that was really cool. Yes. So thanks, everybody. And yay, everybody go- who's interested in the game is now going to be able yes, to get a copy of it. Yes, which is great. So, it's mission a, accomplished. It's such a good game. Yep. So with that said, let's just dive right in. So this is the Conversations with Heavy Cardboard, kind of. Not really an official one, but it it really is. (laughs) So Jordan Draper and I sat down for, I don't know, just over an hour, hour and a half, somewhere in that window to talk everything about just from toothbrushes, the vending machines, to all the things Tokyo and Turin, (laughs) Italy, as well as the creative process and how he goes about designing games. And we go kind of in depth about import-export, turn-market, and the upcoming Tokyo series. So, yeah, hopefully you guys enjoy it. Definitely want your feedback, so let us know what you think about it. And with that said, enjoy the episode, y'all. Big thank you to our sponsor, BoardGameTables.com. If you're in the market for a customized, one-of-a-kind board game table, go check them out, BoardGameTables.com. All right, so I'm here with Jordan Draper, the main dude behind Dark Flight Games. So I figure you're here in town visiting us. We need to sit and have a chat, right? For sure. Yeah. All right. So thanks for coming on
2: Heavy Cardboard with me. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here and coming out and playing games. I mean, it's been it's been a cool experience outside of. everything else in the streaming or whatever just to get to know you and see what goes on behind the scenes at Heavy Cardboard. So I've had a great time. Yeah, it's been
0: a lot of fun, Uh, both just everything from going to breakfast and just hanging out to talking games, talking design, talking all that stuff. And I was like, well, wait, no, we need to save all that for the for the show. So, okay, let's start with the really important stuff. Toothbrushes? (laughs) yeah there we, we can come back to that
2: let's let's come back to toothbrushes <laughs> all
0: right fair <laughs> enough all right so all right for those folks out there that don't know who or what jordan draper in dark flight
2: games is tell folks a little bit about y'all sure so we're based out of salt lake city utah most of the time and i say that because i'm moving around to tokyo and oslo and places all over depending on what's sure, happening. you know as you do right yeah okay. yeah uh so founded by me and my business partner nick halper um so he's a neuroscientist and he has a, a full-time job you know making brain implants and doing all that stuff which is again no- <laughs> as you do yeah right. as you do uh so he's helping me with some of the business stuff on the side and then uh we'll work on some projects together. Otherwise, I'm self-publishing games under Jordan Draper, which is what the uh, the new Tokyo series is, for example, under my own Kickstarter. Uh and then we'll sell them through Dark Flight. We came about in 2015, uh so it hasn't been that long that we've been around. Right. I mean, just under two years now. Yep. Uh so we let's see, we we had poison bottles, turn market. Uh, then I did Jutaku, and then Import-Export. So we've had four main games released, and then now we're doing the reprint of Turin Market, and we've, I've got three new games coming out in January. So we're still relatively new. I would call us the definition of indie as far as that goes because like I'm in-house publisher. I'm doing the graphic and the artwork and doing the design and then doing the manufacturing, running the Kickstarter and releasing it. It's about as indie as it gets, uh, which I I think it's fun because... I get to just explore crazy ideas, and I don't have anybody that's telling me I need to switch this way or, or that or way. Or saying no. Right? Or saying no, yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, All
0: right, so so before we go too much deeper on uh, the specific games or, or whatever, which we're definitely going to do, but how'd you get into the hobby? Like, did you just woke up one day and said, you know what, I'm just going to start
2: designing games, and okay, here we are, or what? Uh, so I ran an Etsy store for about seven years, and um, this was before I was into gaming super heavily. So around 2010 is when I started getting in, uh, I guess it would have been a little bit before that, I started getting into gaming pretty heavily, Okay. Uh, and I never thought about necessarily designing and releasing games, but I had it in the back of my mind that like I could try it at some point, but... I'm not going to do it until it makes sense that I can try this instead of doing something else with design. And I'm r- running full-time like an Etsy store. That was my income, right? So so
0: what what was the
2: Etsy store? Uh, so I would design graphics for phone cases that were like clear and i i had a vinyl cutter so i would put my own designs on the clear back of these phone cases and then okay. i would sell decals for people's cars and like wall graphics that were like three feet by six feet that would just be whatever i felt like doing some of so, them were-
0: like like uh like an indie fathead for kind of <laughs> kind of right as far as the the graphic design like the wall graphic stuff i'm saying right
2: yeah a lot of it was like handmade geometric stuff so it was kind of fine art Okay, related right. and it, it was okay. all you know just coming out of my head whatever i was inspired to do at the moment so just creative outlet yeah yeah and before that i was a musician for 10 years so it was like transition from being a musician into making graphic design and getting more into product design and i dabble in that and did a lot of making with my hands like a handmade a sofa and
0: you like, hand whoa, whoa handmade a sofa
2: yeah handmade a sofa uh so I just wanted to see how the process worked, and thought I'd try it. It turned out to be a month of nonstop work, but like, <laughs> <laughs> I I built the frame uh, from wood, and then I I webbed the whole thing, and then I I got all of the padding, and I upholstered the entire thing, and I designed how all the dimensions were, and it was sitting deep like a like a tub, right? So you're you can like lounge in it in different ways that you normally couldn't in a sofa. I wanted to explore what you could do with that, so. Made a handmade j- sofa. J- just cause. Just, just cause you were curious and wanted to basically, yeah. That's that's what if something inspires me. I'm just driven to do it and I have I have a hard time not being hyper focused on what I'm doing. So I and from start to finish, if there's something on my mind, I'm gonna get it done. But that's probably all I'll be doing for the next who knows how long. <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right. So how do you go from all right, musician to graphic design work at an Etsy
2: store to oh hey let's let's get into board games yeah so one of my friends uh good friends chris keats he always had hosted us and he has like 600 plus games in his library which when i came to heavy cardboard i was like oh yeah 600 games that's a lot no no that's <laughs> that's not a lot of games well keep
0: in mind also i mean we're we we do reviews so obviously the the library is going to be a little um, bit larger.
2: Amazing. Aren't. Sneak into the basement if you can. <laughs>
0: just just saying. <laughs> uh, so okay, so so this game group, this is in Salt Lake, Salt City, Lake City or in Draper, Utah? No, it's in, in
2: okay. Salt Lake City, yeah, in Sugar House for anybody who's from the area. Uh so we we would meet once a week and he would bring new stuff to the table all the time and he started introducing me into the heavier stuff. Like the first the first game night that we had, he pulled out antiquity and it was like five hours later. I was like, oh, I love heavy board games. So awesome. Yeah. Let's go on from there and see what happens. Chris. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so we move forward after that and like five, six years down the road, I'm thinking, okay, I could make a game and why not try it? Uh, so Nick and I, we designed our first game poison bottles together, uh, which is kind of a crazy memory trick taking game, uh, which for our first game, we were just trying out some basic stuff. Right. Uh, so after that, I got inspired to do Turin Market while I was living in Italy because I went over there for three or four months uh, and stayed with a uh, family friends, family up there, and just like traveled around Italy just to see all the art and see what it was all about. What's the hype about it Italy, right? Okay, sure. <laughs> it was an amazing experience. Uh, that's where the, the inspiration came for the game. And then it, after- from, from being in Turin, but we'll talk more about that here in a little bit. Continue. Sorry. Yeah, no worries. Uh, so... Yeah, after I did my first solo design, I realized, okay, this is a viable thing. Like, I didn't make, I didn't make very much money. It wasn't something that I was thinking, this is obviously going to work for me to be full time just doing games. But I wanted to keep trying and see where it could go. So, you know, next game comes out. Every every time I ran a Kickstarter, I was basically doubling the the amount that I had done previously, until Import Export came, and then it was from five thousand to like seventy one thousand, and then I started realizing. Okay, yeah, I could probably be a full time publisher if I wanted to, and still explore my artistic side and get out all of the, the, the the creative, intu- the creative right? yeah, and I mean it's still so small that it's I'm not making a lot of money, like it's it's not comparable to a, to a normal career, but we've grown so much, and I realized where it's going that I want to explore and see if I can make it happen. Just like Edward, he's he's. He's just pulling away all the time to get people together and make this awesome community but like he's driving everything forward because it's his vision you know That's- yeah uh,
0: no I mean it's in and, and the funny thing is is I mean on that note like I didn't I didn't start out with that intention on this it's just it's just grown in that direction I, I, I think is a good way and now okay well now let's see where this thing can take us right that type thing. Mm-hmm. so designing board games, did that kind of fill a hole as far as that
2: an outlet for that creative just urge that apparently you have for yeah everything? Absolutely. I mean, I don't know. When you're a musician for so long and you walk away from it, you start craving it really deep. And making games did that for me because also since I'm the artist on the games that we release, it's a lot easier for me to, to just, you know, defocus on design and then, oh, I can just focus on art and getting the theme together and however I want to move all the pieces until they fit. Um, And that's a great creative outlet for me. Plus, creative exercises to make games. Like, let's talk more about this later. But I have some techniques for how to practice being creative that are really useful.
0: Huh. Okay.
2: All right. So, okay. So, before we
0: dive back into games, then, I wanted to talk because I was curious, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. that's the whole reason I do these interviews, ultimately, is because I want to know the why of things. So, your last name's Draper. Yeah, you you're from Draper, Utah, and I was like, that
2: can't be a coincidence, right? <laughs> I mean, it. it I, I suppose it could be, but yeah, it, it's not a coincidence. Uh, my my, let's count them. My great 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 grandfather. Five. five. You five. told us five. That's grandfathers. five greats. Don't right. forget the five. <laughs> <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> so he uh, he founded Draper more or less. He had nine wives. We're from wife three. <laughs> <laughs> like just, you got,
0: that's an awesome sentence. He. Yeah, that, that's I, awesome, dude. No, that's that's
2: cool because I I I that's different. Yeah. Full stop. Like I don't, do. I need to say anything else about it? It's like it's self-explanatory. All right, okay. All
0: right. Easy enough. Cool. Yeah. All right. So, all right. So let's 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 push back then towards gaming. So what? How did you go, though, from, oh, wow, I want to play these games to, oh, I want to create these games? Was it just a natural progression? Because for somebody like me who I don't see myself as the creative type and I have zero interest in designing a game, like that thought just never occurs to me. So how do how do you go from one to the other?
2: I think for me, it was two things. One, playing games every week, I would see things that I thought could be either not necessarily always improved because most of it was inspiration. But there were things that I would see fitting better into my style of gaming that I wasn't necessarily getting out of the games that we we're so playing. So just
0: the way you wanted the game to be, it just a different game. So, hey, maybe if I exactly. went in this different direction or whatever.
2: Totally. So that was one side. The other side is I didn't see the industry putting out a lot of minimal, straightforward basically like high-end artistic games, which is what I would like to say what I'm pushing for for my games. Um, it's a it's a niche within the gaming, I guess, like when you look at the broad spectrum, right? You've got a lot of artwork that's similar. You've got a lot of themes that are similar. You've got a lot of components and uh, mechanics that are similar. For me, I wanted to make something that was going to be different, both in thought of what you can do in a game and then in also how can you mix together new ideas and components, and then make an experience out of that, that, that takes people back and makes them think, okay, whoa, like how does real life overlap with games and where does this fit in for me? And then also make that fun. So people are coming together and playing games, which is what it's all about.
0: So is it, is it more from an artistic standpoint than it is a thematic or a mechanical standpoint where you where your I guess your inspiration comes from or your direction takes you?
2: Yeah, it's a little bit of a mix of both. Um, For me, I always explore the theme before I get into the mechanics. So, like, every game I ever do is here's a strong theme that I'm feeling really inspired or connected with. Okay, then I'll then I'll take some creative output from that. Maybe I'll make a piece of artwork for it first. Maybe I'll think about how the game could play out based on that theme. So I'm, I'm taking components out of the world inside of that theme and thinking, okay, now how do I mix these together? And then I'll draw inspiration from other games that I'm playing during the month or whatever and, and mix some of those mechanics in if I feel like they would work, but change them a little bit into my style. And then the whole thing has to be sealed with my minimal approval of like this. This is straightforward. It's intuitive. And it doesn't shout at you in a way that certain games could.
0: Like, are you saying from an artistic
2: standpoint, it doesn't shout at you? Or when you say minimal, like unpack that a little bit. Okay. So two sides of minimal. One, the design. I mean, our brand, I, I did the logo for that too. Drew that and everything. That's just supposed to be, flat and straightforward. There's a reason why it's one color on a, on a plain background. There's a reason why, um, our website looks the way that it does. Everything should just be intuitive and you should see it as its own package. Uh, and I don't think that you need to compete with too many colors. You don't need to compete with too many, uh, loud components that don't do much i want everything to be streamlined i I care so much about the colors that go into my games i can't even express like I'll, i'll think about that for weeks before i'll release anything is okay what what colors are in here are they colorblind friendly how do they work together in what you're doing and can you visually see what's going on like iconography can also be replaced with colors or can be mixed together in different ways so there's a lot of systems that go behind this In designing games that people don't necessarily think about Um, but for me that's probably the most important part for the game is can you understand what's going on within the design
0: so function over form but having a minimalist
2: or or very clean yeah uh, art direction is that is that kind of how I'm reading it yeah I think that's a good way to put it Um, and it comes down to the gameplay at the end of the day right but all the packages have to be recognizable like I don't want anybody to see one of our games and not say that's a dark flag game. Like I, I care about the branding and how, how the image comes across.
0: Okay. And I think that's completely normal, completely reasonable. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So let's talk Turin market since that's the, uh, the big hotness, at least within the, the heavy cardboard community mm-hmm. a little bit. Sure. Uh, so how did that come to be? Cause I know you were talking about Italy, but Turin specifically.
2: Yeah. So, um, one night I randomly went out on a bike ride, which I do. In Japan, I go on walks or bike rides, and in Italy, I just did the same thing just to explore. Came into a plaza, not expecting anything. There were like 500, 600 people dressed in all white in there. They're having a huge dinner party. This is called the whiteout party. And Uh, this is
0: in Turin, Italy, right? This is
2: in Turin, Italy. This is in in their their big main area that they do this, Uh, and I wasn't aware it was going to happen, so I came across it, got really inspired by what was going on, saw people enjoying having a good time trading around food just walking between tables and whatever so got out my my journal and sketched the front cover of what's on turn market uh and then i started thinking about how this could actually work together in a game there's also a uh, fruit market that happens on the weekend there and i went to that as well and was looking at what things they had there so i did some historical research into what would have been around at the time which is where the scudo and all all of the goods that are in the game came from that time period um and sculpted it into an idea i love bidding economic games i love playing with numbers and like making the players drive the interaction with how how the numbers go instead of the game because i think that's more real and raw and and kind of makes sense from a a natural economic standpoint right like laissez-faire let's let's do it the right way (laughs) okay all right so all from just seeing a
0: gathering of folks just having some food chilling out having a good time and from that, you have a brutal 15 minute card game, the uh, bidding game that that is uh, everybody that seems to play it seems to enjoy it and want a copy. So that's crazy. So it all started from this market and then inspired the artwork. So did the artwork then kind of drive the direction of the game or
2: is it just kind of an all-in-one package? I think it was an all-in-one experience for me of living in italy like i wanted that experience to be forecast into a game it was like a memory for me like taking a photograph right for me making this game was my memory regardless of if anybody played it or not i made this experience and every time i play it, i remember the time that i lived there um and on top of that it was it was a good uh way for me to practice drawing at the time i like i was terrible at drawing when i I don't know, five, six years ago, like I wasn't very good at drawing at all and just practicing over and over. So I decided I'm going to hand draw this whole game basically. And that's another reason why it looks the way that it does.
0: So when you made this game or when you're designing this game, you were like, okay, it's, if it's a photograph from your point of view and a memory for you, then that begs the question, who are you designing for? Are you designing for you? Are you designing for just as a creative outlet in whatever direction it goes and maybe people enjoy it or whatever? It's, it's ultimately a
2: a, a personal
0: thing or how's that work?
2: Yeah, it's, it's not necessarily personal just for me, but everything that I make, everything that I design, everything that I draw or do is always something that, I want or that I'm inspired to make because I want it to exist so in that sense it is for me like I've never made something from the get-go that's I'm thinking okay Would these people want to play this is this for this crowd? That's that's never on my mind It's always what what would I want in a package and luckily What I've wanted has reflected with what other people have wanted I guess from people wanting the games Um, but the the initial inspiration is always from what I would want in a game first which I think plays to other people. I mean, I'm a human being. Other human beings should want the same thing, right? Or at least to, to some extent, right? Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. I get that. So
0: so ultimately, you design things. And just to make sure I'm clear on this. So
2: you design things that you want, and hopefully other people like it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Cool. Totally. That's, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. I mean, otherwise I wouldn't have made a game about vending machines. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, let's go with that. So
0: this game about vending machine, vending machines. So Mm -hmm. we actually sat down and played, I don't want to say one version of it, but it's, it's a game of of many hats in, in a lot of ways. You
2: could say that. Yeah. So it's a framework. Let's put it that way. Or a lot of, a lot of flavors. Yeah. A lot of flavors, <laughs> a lot of grape soda. Uh, so the game is interesting because I made all the components ambiguous on purpose because the whole point is guest designers are making the games using these components. So it's a framework game and everybody can design whatever they want inside. So we've got the designers from Dragoon. We've got, um, some Japanese designers that I know from colon and some other companies. Uh, we, there's a, l- a lot of cool people that I've met in the industry that, are designing games for this as a guest designer. And by this, it's the name? Tokyo Jido Hanbaiki.
0: Yeah, that, I wasn't going to try. I No. Yeah, uh, yep. I don't want to embarrass myself any more than I already
2: do with pronouncing <laughs> things. So, okay. Say it one more time. It's, so it's Tokyo Jido Hanbaiki. And just so you know, that means vending machine in Japanese.
0: Obviously, yeah. I mean, who doesn't know that? Come <laughs> on, Jordan. All right, so so okay, how the hell did you get inspired by a vending machine? How did how did this happen?
2: Yeah, so this will be great. I can knock out two games at once. Uh, so Tokyo Jutaku and Tokyo Jidohanbiki were both inspired basically in through the same process. Uh, every probably every other night while I lived in Tokyo, I would go out on a long maybe two, three-hour walk through just random side streets and alleys because you can just wind through these little paths and everything you find is brand new. All the architecture is just one-off split. Here's like an old home from the 50s, and then here's a modern home made of glass, and then here's a traditional home that's that's new. I mean, everything is just off the wall. You do not know what to expect. So just a mismatch of, of generations? Yeah. I, I mean, you could say that. There's also... No rule as far as how you split your land. So the lots are crazy shaped. And, and so this is where Tokyo Jutaku's inspiration came from. But at the same time, there's vending machines within the neighborhoods, like on every street corner. You will, you will find a vending machine within 15 feet, no matter where you are in Tokyo. Huh, um, all right. And these vending machines have cool drinks. Like, let, let me just put it this way. You can get like onion soup hot On your walk, just bust it open, drink some onion soup. Okay, done with that. How about some yuzu lemon tea? All right, yeah, I'll go through that. Don't have enough of that? Okay, iced coffee. I mean, whatever you want. You will find it in the vending machines just on your walk. So for me, it was like, I need to have dinner and I want a nice drink and walk. Okay, I'm going to go look at some architecture and take this walk, right? Okay, all right. Uh, So... Yeah. Vending machines. That's, that's where it came from. I started thinking about, okay, there's like dice tower. Shogun was coming to mind for me. And I'm like, how can I make a Shogun style tower out of a vending machine? Uh, (laughs) which (laughs) it took quite a few iterations and, and over a thousand dollars, but I got there eventually with prototypes back and forth. Uh, so things are working perfect now. Um, but then, then the drinks, like there's six different shapes of drinks and there's, six different colors, and then there's stock cards, one for each color, one for each uh, drink type, some crates with six slots so you can put the drinks in them. So this this just laid down... Um, I was thinking of ways that other designers could come in and use these pieces to make something interesting Framework, Yeah, it's hard to make a framework that has a lot of versatility um, that's not limiting with, with what's available, but I think this is working as far as how many different variations you can make stuff. Like people are making games that are like simulating some kind of a weird poker match and like I made economic betting games somebody else made a game where you flick drinks into other drinks people made a racing game of everybody versus one person like it's just all over the spectrum so how did the idea of okay I'm gonna make a framework
0: and then give it to all these people where who are these does design- that like how did you sell them on this idea to begin with and how did all this craziness come to be <laughs>
2: Yeah. Loaded question. Okay. Let's see. So I've, I just been meeting people in the industry because I like being social and I'm trying to find like a pack of indie developers that also are in the same boat as me that I can like learn with and we can help each other and grow and everything. That's so
0: awesome. Okay.
2: All right. Yeah. So we've got some, some other designers that I've been meeting and I've been bringing the game around to everybody and just having them play the prototypes that I've done for the games and seeing what they think if they want to design something. Uh, And people have been super on board with it. Originally, I was um, thinking to just, uh, so there's these ads that you put on top of the vending machine, right? Like Um, little cardboard ad, like little chip ads. yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So originally I was thinking, okay, maybe I can make the Kickstarter price drop by selling real advertisements to people like, in the hey, game industry. drink
0: coca-cola or something yeah what, whatever whatever right? whoever yeah, wants yeah. to
2: pay for an ad you know like whatever oh. i'll put it in the game but then i thought okay no this would be better if i give it to the guest designer so now like their their thing that they get back is they can do whatever they want on their advertisement so i don't even know what's going to be in there i have haven't gotten all of them back yet but it's going to be that's risky cool. yet yeah. <laughs>
0: exciting yet crazy and fun so so basically to understand this so when you open up this box what can people expect to find so there's a a uh a vending machine that doubles as a dice tower mm-hmm. or or a component drink tower, tower let's call drink it that drink tower okay drink tower and then all these different cards and then it's basically a a thick rule book of yeah. but it's not a rule book it's
2: 12 rule books uh i would say more like 25
0: Tw- okay yeah. so it's all these little games that you can that people have made out of these components and then Hey, let's... Okay, we're playing so-and-so's game. We're going to put their billboard on the top of the vending machine? Absolutely. And- That's all. <laughs> all right. Dude, I dig it. I'll, I dig the outside-the-box thinking.
2: Yeah, it's pretty out there. I mean... For me, this is this is what it's all about creating something that people are like, what? How is this a game? Like, I I love that, and then they start playing and they're like, oh, this is this is a game because I, I spent a lot of time doing the design. The other designers are too. Like, it's this is not this is not a joke, right? It's not a trivial, just throw away, whatever. Yeah, right? this is not a fluff product. This is something that has a lot of thought going into it, a lot of design time.
0: Well, we we messed around. With, by messed around, I mean you crushed me. In two of
2: the different iterations of it, and do you know the names of the two that we played? Uh, Yeah, so one of them, the first one we played was called Grape Soda. That's the one where we moved the crates, and you had to either put a drink in or move a drink.
0: Oh, God. It's a spatial, almost like a spatial checkers with a moving board.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's like a modular checkerboard that also has a weird mechanic to how you play it.
0: Uh, That allows you to move the crate so you're actually changing the physical board and the whole point is to jump someone's drink you Mm -hmm. know three and and to acquire three of their drinks and i am not good on spatial stuff and that reiterated (laughs) that point when i was just happy i got one of yours so that, that that felt like a win but even something as simple as that it's it's i love the idea of this this just pack of games mm-hmm. that comes in one box that that are legitimate games and the second one combine two of the three games that are going to be in the Kickstarter.
2: Yeah, so all 12 games are in the same series. In other words, they all integrate together in certain ways. So, um Edward and I played judo hanbiki mixed with Tokyo Jutaku. There's actually two mixes you can do. That was just one of the two that I, that um, you can do for those. Uh, so the one that we played, we basically you set up a grid, and then you've got drinks out on the cards, and there's like a fluctuating market. So whenever you buy a drink, the price goes up, I should say the value goes up of the color of drink you bought and the type of drink that it is. And then later in the game, you can sell drinks from your crate based on what the current market prices are, and then it resets that market. That all down. the
0: players actually drove that market. So the yeah. more, the more, the more blue bottles of drinks that people invest in or purchase, Mm -hmm. it makes the value go up to where, oh, hey, now I'm going to sell these three blue drinks and oh, hey, they're worth 400 yen a piece. I just made 1,200 when I only spent 300.
2: So, hey, I profited out of this, et cetera, et cetera. Totally, yeah, and it's it seems so simple and kind of stupid, but it just really works because the players are always the ones trying to make the decision. There's also an end game payout for set collection, so you could totally go a different route, which is something I like doing in games is keeping the options open for how to win. Um, So you can do that, but everything is driven on the market. So that's just a small example of what you can do in the game series right because this is one of the mixes of two of the games but all the games including future releases will be back mixing and so on and so forth so
0: all right so you said 12 games okay so the three games and i'm not going to pronounce the first two and tokyo
2: metro yeah (laughs) those games and tokyo metro spot on
1: (laughs) all right
0: so there's three games and then the one with the with the the vending machine game Mm -hmm. that i'm not going to embarrass myself trying to pronounce that game alone has
2: 25 different iterations within that one game. Yeah, and probably more. I mean, we are I'm thinking I want to set up a forum system on our website so people can submit their own designs, and then I'll release a secondary rulebook with more designers and fan designs, basically, in the future. Um, but but I, it'll, it'll launch with guest-finished so, designs.
0: Okay, so it's almost... The fact that you can then intermix all these different games with one another so adding like we did with the with the two games adding those together it's almost almost a 504 but with a with developed games putting them together making a new game and not just a mechanism here and a mechanism there to make a a, a basic game these are mixing completely separate
2: games full games and making them into its own animal? Some of them are like, their own how animal. How does that even work? <laughs> like, the one that we played tonight was its own animal, right? And that was, like... I would say that was more borrowing components that we needed for the other game. Okay, all right. Okay. um, But... I would say like a lot of them, you can think of them as expansions. Tokyo Metro, for example, if you add Jidohanbaiki to that, it is like a straight up expansion to the game. We we play Tokyo Metro today, but we didn't play with Jidohanbaiki. But basically you add in the the ability to build vending machines at stations that are already built. Doesn't matter if it's yours or not. And then it's like a separate path for income, but you permanently lose a worker placement disc for the rest of the game um so there's some trade-offs in that but that's an example of like you're taking pieces from that game to make a literal expansion for the other game um and there's one for jutaku as well that judo Hanbaiki can become a literal expansion for jutaku wow how how do
0: you go about developing uh, like a system like this to where they they interact like in, in this way because this is at least to me uh, you unique is the right word. Like I've never seen something like this. So how does how do you go from yeah I want to
2: design something to wow to all this? Yeah, I mean, just like anything else, it's one step at a time, right? Like people people look at the end product and they're like, how did you do this? But it's the same thing as you know when you're learning any skill or doing anything else. Like you take everything one step at a time and you build it uh, in a structural way, at least that's how I do things. So I'm, I'll design one game first, and then I'll say, okay, I'll design another game. And then I'm thinking, okay, what, what do these have either in common or what would this add to this other game that I can mix in from where we're at? Uh, and a lot of it comes from experimentation too, which is, I mean, that's a creative tool, right? You got to experiment and see what's out there and be open-minded about it until something clicks and you're like, Oh, that's it. So how long
0: has this process been so far with this, the the, the 12 game series, the Tokyo
2: Metro and everything else? Mm-hmm. So I started working on these games. It would have been, a, yeah, it would have been about the time that I was getting ready for the import export Kickstarter. So this would have been like late 2016, I think. Okay. So about a year thereabouts? About a year. And, a year for me, I work very quickly and I, I'm like hyper focused. So a year for me is, I don't know. I feel like that's probably drawn out for some people because this is like all I do, eighteen hours a day. I'm I'm focused on this thing until it's done. So okay, it's been a, it's been a while. I feel like it's been ten years. So, so. <laughs> very
0: much a labor of love,
2: though. Yeah, right. Absolutely.
0: So, so is it still this creative drive that just because you want to see it through, or is it is it is it growing as you? As you went along, in a sense that oh no, I I came into this with look, I want to make a twelve-game series, da 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 da. Or was it oh, I'm making this game, and oh hey, this kind of works off of that, and then I can make this other thing. How how did that process go?
2: Yeah, I think that was a little bit more adaptive. Um, some things just you think that you know what you're doing with it, and then all of a sudden something else comes to mind, and you're like, no no, this is this is much better. I, I'm always willing to be adaptive and change the design i think if you can't do that as a designer then you're going to be stuck with one thing that's probably not going to be the best it could have been right you need to adapt and change as you go um but for the 12 game series i was that was originally inspired because i i was designing tokyo metro and like there's the 12 train lines and all the colors line up and i was like okay yeah let's put that into the 12 games this is why the covers have just monochromatic covers and yeah, colors. represent schemes.
0: one of the train lines one of the
2: train in a way yeah yeah, yeah sure yeah.
0: no no i got gotcha, you i got gotcha.
2: you yep so uh yeah i i got inspired from that some of them i just like the concept um of how they would work like Judo hanbaiki which has turned into the most amazing game just from seeing what other people are doing with it like that's that's the beautiful part is like i got my inspiration out my creativity to make the components and like what i get back from other designers is always blowing my mind it's awesome I dig that. So, okay. So how is this? How are folks going to be able to get this? So this is coming to Kickstarter on January 6th. Uh, All three games will be together in the same Kickstarter Uh, and you can get them independently. You can get just two of them. You can get all three of them, which will be a much heavier discount. Um, But regardless, you'll get a discount for getting them early on the Kickstarter. Uh, And then I'm most likely going to be doing a metal currency for the Tokyo series that you can use in all of the games uh as an extra thing um and another thing i didn't mention is you can play all of the games in series and keep your end game yen score if it has a certain symbol above the the game title uh which all of the main games will always be able to do that so if you want you can almost like a campaign but of tokyo metro inspired (laughs) the tokyo campaign yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: right okay yeah go with it sure
2: yeah um and I think that's pretty cool because you can also sit down solo and do them. I'm going to make all of them one plus players. So if you want, if you're just like bored one night or you want to explore what's in the games, you there are certain games within that that you can play single player and keep your end game, keep going.
0: And I think that's important what you just brought up—the fact that certain games, you're not going to pigeonhole something that just no. shouldn't be a solo game just because oh yeah, they all play
2: solo. Totally, it's 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 a thought out process, and a lot of the times that can like. You know, you got to stick within the grouping of what makes sense. Okay.
0: All right. So we played Tokyo Metro today. You're going to explain it way better than
2: I am at this point after having a single play of the game. So go for it. Sure. Uh, Tokyo Metro. So this is a simulation of the actual Tokyo Metro system. The map itself is the real Tokyo Metro system with a few small stations taken out here and there. Um, but it's all accurate as far as the main big stations in Tokyo. Um, all the lines are the same and everything. So what it is, is a heavy economic game that is based on what I'm calling, I guess a, it's like a worker placement system, but there's action cards that are cycling out. So the actual spots that you can take for the worker placement will be changing every round. Uh, And they're stacked together in eras, and those eras will be shuffled within themselves. So every time you play the game, it'll be a little bit different for what you had for availability um, during the certain round. So you'll be using those. There's 12 different actions you can take. And on the map, you'll be moving around your player pond to get next to certain stations in order to build a player-owned station of your own. Um, But you can also invest in train lines by buying stocks, and those will go up on a separate income track. You can get income for yourself to keep using in the game when trains run through those stations but here's the kicker um, part of the money will go to the train line that went through that station as well if you own both and you monopolize by having the station and stock in the train line then it's going to go all to the train line you're going to be banking on an end game payout Um, so so long-term investment long-term investment and that seems simple enough but you can also speculate against other players train lines in which case you can make up to two x above what you speculated, and then you'll also be taking a third cut of the the endgame train's income for yourself, and then taking that amount away from the other players before they get paid for stocks. And that's the important part:
0: the before they get paid. And I was able to mm-hmm. do that a couple of times on a couple of yours tonight. That I was like, okay, I see how you're going to be able to how you've invested in these in these shares, and I'm like, okay. I could undercut it in a sense that because you can invest three times or there are three shares in each company, Mm -hmm. uh, but whoever is the president, not really the president, but whoever is the the first share owner, they're going to get a larger percentage of that. So you could invest and get a smaller percentage or what I did, which was speculate that, oh, hey, Jordan knows what he's doing. He's going to run good (laughs) lines. So, hey, why don't I just take the cream off the top, get mine first and then maximize my profits while also undercutting yours. And I thought that was a pretty, pretty clever uh, mechanism and a clever choice between, do I want to speculate or do I want to kind of piggyback and take a lesser cut? Cause then anything I do to help that line helps
2: you more than it helps me. Uh, It's a real tough decision on that. Yep. Uh, And Also in the game, like there's, you're always trying to balance like where the trains are going and which stations they're going to hit. And do you want to build further ahead on that train line? Do you want to maybe take advantage of where somebody else's train is going? Um, Do you want to invest in somebody else's train and then start hitting your stations with that train? But then they're going to be getting more into the stock. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things you're thinking about for how the money's going to flow at the end game. And how you're going to keep on top of the money that you're getting for income throughout the game because money is incredibly tight, which is, I mean, that's just kind of my design style. This is how turn market is too. You're always trying to fight to have enough money left and you're leveraging what you have. You've got to do it in the best way that you possibly can given the situation. And there are loans. And there are loans, yeah. Which
0: do have a penalty, but it's not the type of penalty in which you're going to want to avoid taking loans because loans are merely a tool to allow you to either invest in trains or to lay stations to get you more capital to be liquid during the game because a lot of the worker placement or action selection locations, a fair number of those cost some money and some cost significant
2: amounts of money Mm -hmm. that you then have to be able to, you have to have, it takes money to make money. Yep. Yep yeah uh, and speculating as well, you're tying up the money that you speculate with, which is something we didn't mention. Um, so maybe you need to take out a loan, you're just gonna take you know a 50 percent immediate cut of what your end game score is, but you're gonna use all of that new money that you have to speculate on somebody else's life which
0: then cuts legs out from under them. but then again, you are you're 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 borrowing money potentially because mm-hmm. some of this speculation, especially later in the game can get prohibitively expensive to where if a loan's only going to give you a thousand yen and it costs 1400 at a minimum to invest in some of these stock or some of these, uh, speculations. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the speculation it's, uh, yeah, that's, it's rough, but am I, am I hurting you or am I helping myself more than I'm hurting you? Yeah. And I think that that's one of the pivot points and one of the, the cool decisions that I, I really saw in this game. And, I mean it's trains dude right <laughs> I mean okay fine it's it's subways but it's still trains It's still trains yeah yeah uh, So so is that going to be like I'm not going to ask you which of your kids which of your babies is your favorite right between these games or whatever but is this kind of the main game or is it or, or is it kind of they're all kind of co-oping this this joint release that you're that you're doing.
2: Yeah, I would I would put equal weight on all of them just because they're geared toward different crowds and they were like for me it was an exploration. I love heavy games. I also like really light games that kind of have simple decisions but make the experience really fun for everybody. So for me this was like my first exploration into a really heavy game. Um the other two, I mean Judohan Bike is going to be across the board. You can do whatever you want. Jutaku is like a really cool dexterity real-time game where you're building actual small model homes that are abstract little creations and you get to see it when you're done. But it's like, you're still racing to win the game and and get the most yen at the end. Um, So they all have their own flavor. I don't think they're necessarily as comparable. They're super different games. And yeah, in my experience today, I mean, we, we touched on at least a little bit on all
0: three. I mean, Tokyo Metro, we saw the whole, you know, the main game for that, which that mm-hmm. is the main thing for that's one game is what I'm trying to say. And then the other two have, we saw some iterations of them. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, very cool. Um. So import, export, how did that <laughs> like that? Okay. So I'm looking at, I mean, we're talking about Turin Market. We're talking about all these Japanese themed inspired games. Import export glory to Rome meets container. Yeah, <laughs> like I, when I first heard about this game, I was like, "Pourqué?" Like, I, how do you get these two games and think I'm gonna make a mashup
2: of these two? Like,
0: yes, that's what I need to. Do.
2: Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> this is this is a reaction a lot of people have. I can understand why. It's they're they're pretty different games, right? Like, yeah,
0: they're completely. Uh, apples and giraffes
2: yeah yeah uh exactly how i would have put it <laughs> <laughs> um so i i love glory to rome let's just let's just put that on the table a lot of the inspiration came from the game i'm a carl Chadwick fan uh, i mean i think that kind of speaks through with the design let's we don't even need to talk about that um but i personally i think that glory to rome suffers a little bit from just having a linear strategy of like throw what you can into the vault as quickly as possible to deter other players from being able to end the game with the sewers or whatever catacombs. Is that the one that I I, I think it's catacombs? Yeah.
0: Yeah, Once you build it, you, uh, the game ends immediately. Right. Right.
2: Yeah. So as long as you're throwing stuff into your vault and you're doing it quickly, like that's, that's the strategy to take, at least in my experience of playing the game, like, and don't call me an expert of glory to Rome or whatever, but this, that's my take from it. And I wanted to give a different path from that. And I was just kind of, pondering on that a little bit, but the, the same night that I played that at one of these game nights, also played Container, which is, <laughs> I think Container is my favorite game of all time, to be okay, honest. It's, right. it's definitely up there, if nothing else. It's an amazing Hall
0: of Fame game, as far as I'm concerned, sure.
2: Yeah, so I I mean, I saw some of the economics move, movements in there, and I, I love economies and player-driven economies and how different things will work, so I, I started thinking of a way that maybe these could be put together, and like as soon as I got home that night, I worked for 12 hours straight just Designing import export, thinking about how things could flow, what could change, adding a different action, adding a bid, having a live economic system versus a passive economic system.
0: But you're not answering the question. How the hell did you think, oh, yeah, these two, yeah, peanut butter and jelly, let's make this happen. Yeah, like how, but like, how does that, again, I'm the world's biggest five year old. I want to know the why, like, and the how. Like, how do you look at these two games and say, oh, yeah, I could see this? matching with that now you're also talking to a guy who we played all your games mm. except import export today right like we, yeah. we right so so how do you how do you come up like where did you see the mashup
2: yeah i mean i'll 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 break it down into the step-by-step for basically where the Please. thought process yeah, went. exactly because yeah. i'm i'm again i'm curious so step one was I see this linear path in Glory to Rome and it's kind of taking away from the experience. I played it a bunch of times. It's not like the game was, was not working. It's just that I wanted to see a different way to win Glory to Rome that wasn't there. Okay. Uh, so that was the first step. So introduction of the economy. Okay, I got it. I want actual currency that I hold in my hand and I want goods that are stored. So I want these two things. So like the vault is the goods, right? So I want both of those to exist in the game. That was step one. Uh, moving from there. I'm thinking, okay, the card powers are cool in Glory to Rome, but the way that they work, um, I don't know. I felt it felt like there was some repetition because the cards repeat themselves, right? So I'm like, I want to make every card unique. Oh, I, I I've heard about yeah, yeah 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 okay all right yeah which some people like some people don't like. I mean, give and take what you will. I like it, so yeah. I went for it. Yeah. Okay,
0: yeah. Again, you're you're designing the game that you want to play, right? Yeah, okay. exactly.
2: Uh, so. 100 unique cards like within an hour I had the 100 unique cards out like I was just like what? when I get into creative space and this is what I'm saying creative exercises right like I you just get in in the right zone where there's no bad ideas and you just release a non-stop river of creativity that's basically what it is you just keep going and going you don't edit you just you just move forward and forward and forward this is how you get to new creative platforms and like a
0: stream of consciousness that you're typing you're writing like walk us through this. Sure. Go with it.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's a couple ways you can approach it depending on what you're doing. Um, one for me, like if I'm just doing it as practice is to mix two random words together. Sometimes I will write both of them down and just, I'll have a whole bunch of words and then I'll just start putting two of them together and be like, okay, well, what does this make me think of? It could be anything from like hat gumball. Okay. Or like, you know, tree spoon, I don't know, whatever you are doing, you put them together and like, eventually you're going to hit something that you're like, oh, this sparked some weird, Connection in my brain that I didn't know existed, and I'm gonna follow that. So, okay, coming back to, to uh, import/export because I know that was really out there. Okay, coming. No,
0: no, and uh, see again. This is a this is a way that a creative mind works that mine just doesn't. This isn't me, and so I I think this is interesting to to hear, and for those out there that are curious, how different designers come about their stuff and their ideas and their inspiration. So no, Mm -hmm. keep going. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. So um, first I I started kind of boiling it down to thinking of like, okay, what are the main items that are shipped? So like you can have illegal goods, obviously, you can have technology based goods, you can have consumer based goods, which are just basically consumables. Um, And so I started thinking about all of that agriculture and everything. And then I'm thinking, okay, I've reined this into five categories, let me get some specifics down for that so then then this is where the stream of consciousness comes in and i'm like thinking about what at this point i had all the actions set up in the game for what they do like how you're going to contract things this is like setting a a new building structure in glory to rome right how you're going to contract things how you're going to load things which is is putting things onto the site putting a you know brick or whatever onto the site and in in glory to rome Rome. got it Yeah, 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 yeah yeah um so I got the flow diagram down for what I wanted to do. So so now I have this kind of framework set out of, okay, this is a loose idea of how the game could flow. Um, from there, now now I'm inspired to make all of the different powers and what they can do. So I get to be creative with it. Like I can go anywhere from you get to load an extra container if you want to. Um, so you're, you're gaining efficiency in the game to you get flamethrowers which is like there's not a lot of randomness in the card powers but that's my favorite one for sure like you flip a coin and this is after you complete the shipment or whatever you flip a coin and if it's heads then everybody has to pay you um four credits and if it's tails you have to pay everybody else two credits so it's like using a flamethrower right so i'm like getting back to the theme of it something could go wrong and this could backfire you know like Putting all this into the individual cards, all 100 cards um, have their own theme within what the good is. So is it one of those everything's overpowered, so nothing's overpowered type thing? No. In fact, I I kind of found it interesting because a lot of people gave the feedback or have been saying that they feel that import-export is like some dumbed-down version of of the card powers in um, Glory to Realm. Like, they don't think they're as powerful. For me, I, I kind of felt the opposite to be when I was designing it. So it was interesting to hear this feedback because I mean, nobody, I'm not saying anybody's right or wrong about it. It's just like, well, different this is a point Different of page. view, D- yeah. different perspective on it. Okay. All yep. right. Um, and I also introduced a tier system. So you can't contract certain cards. You can't start certain buildings like in glory to Rome, unless you meet a certain condition first. Um, so you're like teching up into different good types and you have goods in your harbor that will allow you to contract different cards. Um, and, like, the higher tiered cards that you can contract get crazy, crazy. Um, and, I mean, it's like, basically, you have one to two turns to win the game if you can get one of those. But you, you'll you be lucky to get a tier three card, like, at all in a game. Um, it almost, okay.
0: So, you mentioned, okay, big Carl Cheddock fan. I hear Glory to Rome. I hear Container. But... Then I hear all these special powers, right? And I understand there are some, I mean, there's a bunch of those in Glory to Rome, but this almost gives me an innovation feel.
2: Yeah, yeah. I could totally make that connection. Right? I Um, mean,
0: no, I'm not, I've only played innovation a handful of times, but to where it's just can be a bit
2: chaotic or... Can be, yeah. I mean, I think this is why some of the comments come for its tone down because like all of the tier zero cards, which is half of the cards in the game, are not going to, they're not going to break anything. They're not going to give you anything overpowered. They're just going to like give you a step forward in the engine that you're building, right? They'll give you something unique that might actually be added with another card in the game that just works beautifully with synergy, but you got to find that card. You got to get there, right? You got to get there. And there's ways to get cards out on the, from the field. So if you see something, there's like a possibility that you could get it into your hand hand but it's you got to think about how to get it there and still play the game and the right actions at the right time right Um, so you're you're building synergy within your engine most of the like game breaking engines in the game are from multiple cards being in use at the same time I mean you're not going to gain that many powers in the game it's pretty hard but if you gain the right ones together you you can build an engine that's just crazy efficient and then there's a 50 credit end game condition which is the reason that it's there is because as soon as something gets really crazy out of control, it's like usually you've got two turns until you are going to hit 50 credits, which should be enough to let you win the game. But... Um the engines have enough time to build themselves, but not enough time to run crazy off the rail. So other players can see this happening. They can say, okay, I see that you're getting close to completing something really crazy or getting a lot of money from your shipment or whatever. I'm going to try and shut that down and like make a bunch of quick income through using these other powers that are easier to get um, and building an engine toward that.
0: So to be able to counter all this other crazy strategy that's in the works.
2: Yeah, and I'd say that's kind of meta on top of... Playing the right actions at the right time. That's the most important thing to do in the game. I mean, when you play an import action is very important because this is going to change like the patrons in glory to Rome. That's your imports. You're going to get one of those and a good, which is a vault thing at the same time. If you win this closed auction bid for a ship at sea. And that's where the economy comes in from container. Yeah, Exactly. So, I mean, that's that's a basic overview of how everything's kind of flowing around. If you can wrap your head around it, it's man, that's a hard game to teach to it. Like I'm, my brain gets so tired after teaching that at at SN. I was just like, no more, no more of that.
0: <laughs> 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 so, eighteen hours.
2: You or you said that or twelve? Uh, yeah, it's like twelve hours straight, basically, to to bring it probably to eighty five, ninety percent of the way finished. As
0: far as like the game that we see,
2: yeah, on the, the table. The game that you see on the table was basically designed in one night, more or less. I mean, there was a lot of development after that, sure, right? and
0: playtesting and way and
2: no, no, we got to up this, got to de- yeah, nerf like that. Over whatever, a year right? after that of just developing and playing, but n- none of the core stuff changed from. So that. the heart in one night, like, is yeah. that? So is that? Is that standard for you? Is that abnormal? Is that just? That's it's just the way you work or that's what? pretty standard for me. I mean, my brain is always running at a hundred miles an hour and I can't turn it off, especially with like creative stuff. So if I get inspired to do something, like I said, it's just, it's, it's tunnel vision. Like I won't even hear people sometimes if I'm really focused on something and like need to get it out of my system, you know? Um So for me, that's pretty normal. And after that, like, Okay, I got it out, and like now I can calm down and spend spend a year, for example, like developing and making sure the game is balanced and everything's working and changing things that I need to.
0: All right, so are you only working on one thing at a time? Now i I know what you said about you're focused on, okay, during this this really intense focus on this one thing, whatever this thing is, whether game, a sofa or yeah, toothbrushes, whatever. <laughs> However. Are you also, once you get out of that zone, call mm-hmm. it, are you then developing multiple games at the same time? Or is it still kind of a broader sense you're monogamous with this one game until from from birth to, to, to putting it out the door?
2: I, I mean, the ideation, I would say, the, the, the initial creation of the game is going to be usually a, just a spark punch that just comes out really quickly. And most of the time I'll finish like 90% of the artwork at the same time because I'm inspired in how those mix together and how, how the diagrams work and the icons and whatever. Um, after that, it's just leaving it on, I mean, I'll, I'll leave it on the table and play test it when I can and develop it whenever I'm in the mood to work on it again. And then I just, I have running projects. Like I just have a notebook of, of ideas that are, yeah, I know. You, I've heard you talk about this, like all these designers have notebooks that they're writing things down. And what, what are they writing in their notebooks? Wake today? up at two in the
0: morning. Oh, I got this idea. And just write it down and yeah. maybe revisit it a year later or something like that, which is fascinating to me. So with all of this uh, spark idea generation that you're doing and having come along like, OK, so tonight when we live stream turn market, you're talking about the some of the graphic design choices that you made. That you're like, okay, looking back on, maybe not the best idea with the uh, the yeah. Jane Austen handwriting font on yeah. it. Yeah, and so obviously that shows growth in some respects as a designer. So how do you feel like you've you're you've grown because you're still relatively new to the hobby still and mm-hmm. relatively new to designing games. So. Where do you see yourself? Where, where do you see yourself having
2: grown? Yeah. I mean, one of, that's one of the points that you brought up, which is like, originally I was thinking, okay, I've got this vision. Like, it doesn't matter what anybody says. I think a lot of people that run Kickstarters the first time, they're like, this is it, you know, I don't need to listen to what anybody says. And like, I, I'm for sure I, I suffered from some of that, like in the beginning, like, oh yeah, this is how it's going to be, whatever. Like, as soon as I started designing this, <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. my game. But, run along, run along. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and i mean looking back at it now it's kind of like what well, what was i thinking you know <laughs> <laughs> um, but i love uh, honestly now like my favorite thing is getting feedback like playing metro with you today you're you're like telling me okay this thing like was not necessarily as clear for me like i've spent so much time with the game i'm not going to see that you know right, yeah. like i get where everything goes and I, I don't even think about it but you pointing out some of these things to me like i'm a- i already have like 10 like minor little tweaks and changes i'm going to do to like make things flow visually so you can understand what's going on and Edwards just i mean he's like a machine throwing out the efficiency curve because i think he plays so many games now that it's just you you get some of that yeah yeah yeah.
0: i i I definitely like okay so i want on that note right Mm -hmm. like one of the ideas and it was in the the vending machine game and in the iteration that we had there's a blind draw of of drinks yeah and I'm like, these are different shapes. You, <laughs> how is it a blind draw? You can feel the shape. You can't tell what color. But you, and yeah, and I'm like, you no, that's no. That leaves it open for cheating. And you're like, I never would have thought of that. And I'm like, what do you mean? How? <laughs> and, and so we came up with, a, uh, you know, basically an RNG. Like, hey, roll two dice. One for the color. One for the shape.
2: And there you go. Right. He, he says and, we. It was all him. I'm I'm putting him in here as very uh, whatever, very slight whatever, development. Whatever.
0: <laughs> but no, it's it's. I think it's funny. So, so in that respect, so is it, would you say the biggest growth you've had is being willing to, or learning to take corrective criticism or feedback and implementing
2: it as opposed to I'm Jordan Draper, yo. Uh, There's definitely some of that. Like I'll, I'll totally admit it. Let's, let's just put it on the table. Um, (laughs) but I think a lot of it too, is like understanding what feedback is good and what feedback is not, is not useful. Um, and that's a hard thing to make, especially with playtesting, because like there's group that goes on in certain playgroups and there's certain things that people are going to want that other people aren't necessarily going to see. And you'll get a lot of that back and forth. And a solution to a lot of this is having blind playtesters and having a lot of them. So I'll send out PNPs and stuff and like getting the feedback from those is probably the most useful information a designer could get because A, you didn't send out like y- you weren't there to explain the rules. You weren't there to correct people in the rulebook and like everything had to be intuitive if something was played wrong uh it was your fault you know <laughs> like let's just right, be clear was, hey
0: i did i obviously my my rule book may not have been
2: yeah and honestly like that was probably my my worst thing beginning is like my rule books were pretty terrible i've gotten feedback from and like looking back at it now i'm like yeah i totally see that after import export which man people people tore me a new one in a good way of like okay let's let's break this down like i got 12 page spreadsheets of like people going through things that needed to be fixed. And I went back and fixed all of them. And after that experience, I'm like, okay, this was, this was mind opening for how to start creating something for clarity in a rule book. And I think being able to understand that through process and with design and getting feedback for that as well is incredibly useful. Um, At the same time, like I've tried co-designing certain things with certain people uh, for games, for example, and, sometimes it just doesn't work. Sometimes you're just butting heads and like, you don't have the same vision. And a lot of the time, I think it's better to just have one person with a vision, sit down and make the core and then have everybody else help develop it. I think that's for me, that's, that's a clean way to design. So
0: one designer and then opening it up to others for development. But as far as design goes, no, no, I'll take that on and then give it to a, somebody that's, a good developer exactly, and and how important a good developer is
2: in that process. Totally. That's, that's pretty spot on. Um, which is something that I didn't have as a vision from the outset. I mean, for turn market example too, like, okay, the fonts, not the greatest, like there were, there were mistakes in the game that were not necessarily foreseen, um, from when I designed it and I'm like, Oh, this is great when I got it done. But like, obviously like some more development could have been useful, you know? Which is something great to look back at 2020 and be like, okay, how do I apply this into my next projects?
0: And I think that's important that you do that, especially being a a young, and I don't mean young as in age. I mean, young as in only having a a handful of designs under your belt, having that learning curve and having the, do I say humility or the the willingness
2: to self-reflection? Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. and, And being honest and be like, yeah, you know what? yeah, that was dumb. I screwed that up. And no, I need to learn from this and being willing to apply that. And Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's really important. And when I, when I spoke to Michael Keller, he, he said pretty much the same thing. He Mm -hmm. says, you know, I'm still learning how to design games. And I realized that I have all these ideas in my head and I need a strong developer to help me trim the tree so to speak and know where to prune and otherwise it's just this big massive overwrought thing yeah and and having the the introspection to be able to to see that within yourself I think that's that bodes well for the future for designs for people that can do that at least that's what it would seem like to me
2: absolutely I mean Yeah, keeping the right approach to what you're doing with your projects is most important. I think this comes to any field of of design or whatever you're doing. Like, think about things correctly when you start working on the project, and like how things should move forward, and it'll work out. It'll all fall into place.
0: So, what's your favorite design? And I don't mean your favorite game. I mean, like, what is? Is there something one in particular that's special to you? Whether oh, it was the first game I made, or Mm -hmm. hey the term market reminds me of this so that holds it but like one special thing whether it's a mechanism a theme a implementation or what
2: is it do you have a favorite like that that's yeah that's a pretty hard question um well it's not supposed to be all softballs <laughs> this guy all right uh i i think jido hanbiki is is kind of special for me mostly because it was the biggest leap outside of what the industry is, has had for like a standard, right? Like there's minis, but they're always characters for the most part. And there's components, but you don't use them in a tactile way. Like they're markers, right? Usually. And there's, I mean, there's cards, but how do you use those cards? I think this design for me has been the most out there and creative that I've ever done. And it also challenges what's okay or standard in the industry as far as like if I want to make my minis drinks and crates like I'm gonna do that I I modeled that vending machine it took me like a week and a half to get everything exactly how I wanted it to look and and how everything flowed and whatever and I mean that took a lot of dedication and like inspiration to get there but the end product It's so cool because I actually see these components that I spend a lot of time making something different, not taking the easy way out. I Now I see people designing games out of those and how awesome they're turning out. I mean, that's that's the coolest thing for me, I think. All right. Yeah, there you go. See, that's a thoughtful answer. I dig
0: that. Good stuff. All right. So then transitioning kind of from designer talk to publisher, why did you decide to publish as opposed to... Pitching it to somebody else and letting them deal with all the logistics and all the headaches and all the less creative aspects of the hobby for Mm. actually getting a a published game out the door.
2: Yeah, for me, I mean, one, I'm kind of a control freak. Uh, So I want I would just want to make sure my vision isn't skewed. Right. Which can happen it can happen. If you're designing and going through another publisher, it may not happen. It may be exactly what you had in mind, but I mean, I've talked to a lot of designers that it just goes both ways, you know? Um, So I had that going for me. I also am really good at working alone and like just pushing things through and getting stuff done. So that process made a lot of sense for me to want to grow as an entrepreneur because I'm, I, I mean, I've been an entrepreneur for like 10 years now. I, this is what I want to do is I don't want to work for anybody else. I want to make sure I'm calling the shots, which is, you know, could be a personality thing as well. But, um, so that played in a lot into wanting to publish my own games. I did pitch, uh, the games to publishers like turn market and even import export. I pitched to publishers, um, one of the past essence. And, um, while the, a lot of the publishers like thought the games were cool and then they liked the concept and everything. Like they just, it didn't end up working for them for whatever reason, which is fine. Um, But I kind of had an eye-opening experience after that that like, okay, well, why shouldn't I just do this myself and see what happens and like make it grow? Like I have the vision to do it. Let's just deliver it 100% for what I think the game should be and see what happens. And what do you think where things are? How, How was that experience? I mean, things, the difference between the Jutaku Kickstarter campaign that I had, which was like 5,000 um, toward the goal, which I was still hand-making games because there wasn't enough money to even print a, a print run of this stuff, but I wanted to release games anyway, right? Import-export, I'm like, okay, my my high goal that I'm thinking maybe I can reach at the most is like 20 grand, and that was like the dream, right? And then... I, I literally went to sleep and woke up the next morning and it was almost a 20 grand. And I was like, what happened? <laughs> like I've been marketing and moving the brand forward and stuff, but I didn't understand what the impact would be um, or if people would be receptive to the project. Um, but once I saw that, it, I mean, it gives you a lot of motivation. There's always self-doubt that, that you can have as a creator and say like, oh, I'm, I'm not good enough or like this thing isn't good enough. Like, why would anybody care about this? But oh, like, I trust me, I can relate within what it is that we do here. So, yeah, I can totally get that. Yeah, and then then you come back to it and you see, okay, all these people actually did like this and they do care about this and like they they care about the time that I put in to make it an awesome product. It didn't just skip corners and do whatever. And I think that feeling after having the import export campaign close like over seventy grand, like I'd never I'd never touched a project that had gotten close to that before. Um, so I, I got a lot of drive from that to to just say, like, okay, let's move forward and like now that I have I actually have some capital to work with. Not only can I start going to conventions, I can start doing like better marketing. I can start spreading out into more projects and have some of them fail, which as a publisher is as an indie publisher is super hard to do. Like usually it's you, you need to succeed in the beginning, right? You can't, can't right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. You're, you're on a knife's edge. I've heard a lot of stories to where like if one game fails, then they're sunk and they can't, they can't afford that. and, that always struck me as, I mean, I, I'm all for putting yourself out there. Hell, I quit my job to run a podcast and YouTube <laughs> yeah. channel. Uh, so I, I get that, but it's also, there's got to be some sort of buffer. So yeah,
2: that that's thats amazing to me that there are. Yeah, the, the buffer finally came and it's, it's like now, okay, now I can really start stretching myself both creatively as well, because I don't have to just think about the target audience and how to market things. I can try something that I wouldn't normally try like Jido Hanbaiki, for example. So I, I so think that gave you the freedom and the confidence to do that, to do that. Yeah. I mean, th- I don't know if the Tokyo series would have even existed if it weren't for import Export giving me the the freedom to do that just because a like prototyping and getting stuff done and sending it out to people. I mean, that's expensive, especially when you have custom components that are three, D, you know, tangible things. I mean, I would never have thought that I could just pay a couple grand to like prototype on games, but like I'm, I'm committed to it now. Like I, I'm it's happening no matter what, even if it fails, like I've put in so much money and time and effort. Like that's it. It's like you burn the bridge behind you and you just say, okay, there's one way forward. Like this is it. Let's see what happens. I can appreciate that, man. And I, I think it's brave. It's scary. It's,
0: and you don't have kids. So you (laughs) you can do that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So does the Kickstarter dictate print run size like uh, like how does that process work
2: on the on the publishing side of things? Yeah, I mean the Kickstarter will always basically determine how many games you should make. I I mean I've done a lot of research in the industry too just to see how target markets work and how many you should do of whatever. Like for me it's usually whatever the Kickstarter comes in I'll print like the number of games that have to go out, I'll usually print double that. Um, and that seems to be working out okay. With the handmade games, I couldn't even get to double because it just was too much time for me. Sure. Um, but now now that we're manufacturing things, I think that kind of makes sense. We're now having the freedom to explore other things. Like the turn market reprint is awesome because I can print overhead of more copies than I normally would um, if I need to and then bring them to conventions and have them for like a long-term flow. Now that we're getting things set up and whatever. Um and I can reward people that are willing to do like these these pre orders, like the Kickstarter people. I always give the people that are like funding the initial thing either a cheaper price, something extra, or you know some kind of bonus because those are the people that I appreciate the most for just believing in what I'm doing without having a thing there, right? They trust me to to give them something. Like the
0: actual concept of what Kickstarter is about.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, and usually, I, I think you can go way too heavy in printing too much stuff. Like the first solo album that I ever made as a musician, I'm like 500 copies. This will be good. I sold like 30 copies. (laughs) (laughs) I just had all these CDs sitting around the house. Yeah, it was bad. Um, But you know, you, you kind of weigh things out. Some me. Yeah. No, 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 (laughs) no. Yeah. You weigh things out as you go and you get a feel for it. And like, now I'm in a pretty comfortable spot where I know what I could push through. And like, I, I could contact distribution if I want, I'd rather sell things through my own channel in the U S and Canada. And then like, in other countries with other languages or whatever, I'm, I'm dabbling into distribution for that and just trying things out as I go. And every project is different. Every game is different so that I can learn. I mean, I'm asking people what they've done and like trying to gauge all of that from other publishers. But for me, it's like, I need to see what model works. I'm still trying stuff. So every game will have a different model for how you can get it or how I'm going to sell it or how many th- copies I'm going to make.
0: As an experiment, as part of that learning process?
2: Exactly, yeah.
0: So what's next for Jordan and what's next for Darkflay? I mean, obviously you get the Kickstarter for for Tokyo Metro and that series. You have the the reprint for turn market, which I would say is on the cusp of happening. I yeah. mean, as we're sitting here recording, it's so the three thousand was the magic number to be able to get a reprint. It's sitting at twenty nine eighty. I,
2: I think it'll get there. I, I like the chances <laughs> of that happening. Yeah.
0: So so okay, outside of those things in what's next is it just focus on that 12 game series i mean 12 games in a series that's that's a big
2: that's a big task isn't it it is a big task um i've already designed some of the games that are coming uh and i'm super excited about them uh yeah we just hit the goal on turn market that's oh there you
0: go yep 3020 so congratulations cool thank you thank you as well yeah that's great and I'm excited for more people to be able to get this game. I, I think that's really cool. So, yay. Congratulations, everybody. <laughs> All right. Win, win around yeah.
2: the board on that one. I'm totally. Thanks to everybody who who bought a copy. Those are the people we need to thank. That's great. That's really cool. Uh, yeah. So coming back to that, the 12-game the, the series, I kind of had the initial idea and still want to draw it out not draw it out for the purpose of drawing it out, but give myself breathing room to make sure that all the games are where they need to be. And there's enough time to make the integrations and there's enough time to fit everything the way that it needs to fit. So in its natural gestation period, not to rush something is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. And like the first three titles, I mean, Jutaku is a reprint blown up, um, but you you can add those pieces to play different games, right? So it's kind of, you're getting something extra with it. Um, But those, These three games I've been working on for a while and like they're they're ready to go how they are now. Um, I have some other ones that are finished design, but that doesn't mean I'm going to release them next necessarily for like the big games that I'm going to do. I've got other ideas. We'll see what happens when it's time for them to come around. They'll come around. I do not have like a set date for that.
0: All right. So my favorite question to ask designers is this one very simple question is how do you decide when a game is ready to go out the door? Like where do you draw the line? Because you can tinker, you can fiddle, you can adjust, you can tweak, you can do all this in perpetuity. But at some
2: point, it's time to get the kid out the door. So how do you decide that? For me, it's I, I design very intuitively. So if something makes sense for me, then it's good for the moment and I'll I'll work work it forward. If I can play through a game like multiple times in a row and it still feels good and balanced and like everything is there and my intuition is telling me this game is ready to go, then I'm ready to take it to Kickstarter or wherever I'm going with it, right? And usually on Kickstarter, you actually have some extra time to tweak things and people are going to give you the most feedback, especially if you have a print and play or whatever. Like the Kickstarter backers that are excited about it We'll say what about what about this icon or like what about this change? Have you thought about this? Um, and you can you can sit on that for a while, which I think is important for the design process as well as to just step away for a minute and then let that design or that thing sit with you so you can start having new ways to think about it coming into your head without always looking at how it's supposed to be. Um, And then you'll you'll really like if something needs to change, usually it will come to me in that time when I'm taking this three week break or whatever from the design. Then I can implement things to like the polished state that I feel is polished anyway. It's, of course, subjective. Um, But if I feel like it's ready and intuitively I think it's ready, then I I will release it.
0: So you mentioned rule books. So what do you feel you can do to improve that? Because that now from a personal standpoint, this is kind of, I don't want to say a crusade that that's a a bit heavy handed, but Mm -hmm. I, I feel like a good rule book is going to help people approach your game and help them get into your game. And a bad rule book is going to be an actual impediment to somebody enjoying your game and may turn them off to your games or the games in a certain brand or, or whatever. So, Rule books are a really big deal to me. I I have a lot of friends in this industry now, designers, publishers, that I have raked over the coals about just a a piss-poor rule book. Um, And it's something that you mentioned earlier about wanting to improve upon in that. So what, what would you say you've learned most when it comes to rule
2: books and accessibility? And I mean accessibility via the rule book. This is a pretty easy one for me to answer because I, I sort of have an, a, had an epiphany about it after Import-Export, which is, for me, that was a rules-heavy game to put it in. There's so much overlap in how things interact and, like, different stages of when things happen, right? Um, so I didn't hire any professional editors or proofreaders for that. Luckily, the people that were interested in the game just did it for free. Because they liked the project, which is amazing to me. I just can't believe people are like willing to put in the time to just do that to make the game better, right? It's so cool. Um,
0: Yeah, when you get somebody passionate about it and and they have ability, that that's like the the holy grail of that, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. Um, So, I mean, I spent a lot of time editing that rulebook over and over again, and like getting more feedback from the people who were willing to work on it with me and. I saw at the end of that process that it's probably just better for me to make the rule book initially for whatever it is and then hire a professional editor. So I'm going to start trying that. I mean, that's that, that just seems that, so much easier. That
0: makes my heart sing. And I think people listening will be very relieved. And I don't mean that as, as, no, a, no. as a slight to you or to Dark. I'm saying in general, there needs to be a general movement towards that because... Just because you're a designer, just because you understand the game doesn't mean that you understand the technical writing skill that goes into writing a rule book, right? Absolutely. That's not That's not your forte. And I appreciate hearing that. And that, that excites me. And I hope that more take that approach. Like, you know
2: what? Hey, I'm not an expert
0: at this. Let yeah. me go ahead and get it to somebody who
2: is. Yep. And I mean, as the designer, the only thing that you really need to do is make sure you convey correctly what needs to be in the rule book. That's, that's basically your role. Um, it, make it as clear as you can. You can keep practicing that and trying to make it better. But at some point, like it, somebody needs to look at it and make sure that it's where it needs to be. And and like this needs to be checked very thoroughly with blind playtesting, et cetera.
0: Which is another pet peeve of mine. Like, hey, give the game to somebody and let them learn. And if they struggle yep. on the rule book, Take note of that and actually adjust at that point. And it seems like such an obvious thing to me, who is not a part of that process. That come on, man, just <laughs> work with me. Because and by me, I mean me, the gamer, the person who's going to be learning your game, and the person who's going to be then having to fight through a rule book or learn a rule book and then teach it to our group or whatever, or in our case, a larger audience. Mm-hmm help me get enjoyment from your game by making this quick and easy. Yeah. It, it <laughs> yeah. just, I shouldn't have to work right. to learn a game. Right. Right. And so yeah, that, that really makes me happy. I'm excited to hear that and good on you for, 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 Understanding your limitations in that aspect, I think, good. I mean, we're not, we're not all, we're not all experts. You don't have to know everything. You just have to know the people who do, right? Yeah, for the different areas. That's
2: a really good point, point. and you'll be a lot more efficient when you just start accepting <laughs> that. It's just that's a hard thing for someone who's like always trying to work alone to figure out. For me, it took me a long time anyway. But once I got there, I'm like, oh, I, I, I got it now.
0: <laughs> Bing, light bulb goes off, right? Yep all right so cool so you got anything else
2: yeah i mean i'll, I'll just mention like uh, so next year we're, we have quite a few releases i mean we got the three tokyo games um we're going to be releasing with turn market included um hopefully uh four games in our small box uh and we yeah so we're, we're we've got two i'm not going to say too much about them but we've got two games from japanese designers that i've like actually sought out that i'm are pretty fun like social games that are going to be really cool um so that, that aren't reaching
0: out in a, in a sense in that respect
2: because you don't have any other social games like that do you not really no we don't have any other social games like that um and this is more for me like since i'm i mean i can speak japanese and i lived in japan and i i, I see what's going on there as a really cool movement and like there's there's not overlap really of that into the Western market, like a lot of it is still closed off. There's Western market that seeps into the Japanese market. Absolutely. But the other way around is not as common. Um, so I, I mean,
0: won- you see stuff like Oink games, you see stuff like uh but there's just, there's not a
2: ton of it. And even Oink games is like literally their, their whole approach was to hit the Western market. And you don't find that in Japanese publishers usually. Um, you, that's pretty rare anyway. So I, I wanted to start finding some designs that I felt reflected a Japanese design standpoint, which maybe you'll play the games in the future and, and understand what I'm talking about, but they have a different approach to how they think about things with their social etiquette and culture and whatever. And this is reflected, especially in social games into what's going on with that. Um, a good game to play if you, if you haven't tried it is diet and friends, um, from a designer, uh, called Kondo from Boquen. Um, he's doing one of the jidohan G- hanbaiki games, by the way. Okay, all yeah. right. Um, but basically in that game, you're like politely inviting people to come have dinner with you. And it's about like trying to give people food to try to make them gain calories. Like it's, <laughs> it's a hilarious game. It, trying to get them to gain calories, i.e. gain weight. Yeah, so you're inviting them on a dinner date or a lunch date or whatever, and you have to be polite when you ask them this is in the rules. This is an important... This is a very important thing. Because that that's a big thing in Japanese that's, culture, right? In exactly. business especially, right? Yeah, and you wouldn't find that in in the Western ideal of everything as much. So, uh, yeah, when you're playing the game, this is a big role in it. And then if somebody has the, the, the food that you're trying to, like, take them to lunch with, you get to give them what you had of that kind of food. And then you can also have, like... A birthday anniversary party and you can invite everyone to come to this one type of food and have a big party with you and like yes there's silly mechanics that are going on with the strategy in the game but the whole idea is that it's based around the japanese cultural idea of like what it is to be polite to people and how friendship works this is something that you don't see from our perspective okay all right so that's that's a bit off the beaten
0: path at least in my her view of gaming, right, and yeah. what I'm used to. So, okay, all right. So you got you got these social games coming up.
2: Yep. Uh, and then Nick and I also made another game together, which is uh, basically a game about trading candy on halloween it's like coming back to the american uh, ideal of it right so feeling like a kid again and you've got like a pillowcase and different kinds of candy and and you're i don't
0: want this candy corn give me your snickers
2: exactly but it, it runs off of a nick de bone system um i'm sorry a what do you know the game nick de bone no it could be the wrong pronunciation or whatever it's it's german basically there's number cards and somebody is the bean player and everybody else is offering up a card and the, the bean player chooses a card, that player has to choose a different player's card that's not the bean card, and it goes goes around, right? And then the bean player will switch to the last player. Well, you're getting cards that have, like, points on them, positive and okay, negative. all and, right. And, yeah, so you got a weird scoring system. It's just, it's an interesting way to, like, trade things because everybody has to decide, do I want to give something good or bad to the player that's offering something? And then this, like, rondelle of of trading will happen after that in a, in a certain order, depending on who picks what.
0: Okay, all um, right.
2: So yeah, a a little bit of a convoluted way to do that, but uh, it's really fun to play it with that system uh, and the theme and the artwork and everything is really coming together. So that'll be another small game. We're not sure how we're going to release them yet. Like the the turn market drive on our website went really well. Maybe we'll just run small game releases on our website. I don't know. We'll see what happens, but um, got some cool small games and then we've got the Tokyo series and so is the Tokyo Series kind of the the main offering for the year then? Is
0: that what you would call it?
2: Yeah, I mean for me anyway, like this has been a long time coming up for me. This is been a lot of work. These are these are big games. Uh small box, big game, right? <laughs> in perspective from a western standpoint, small box. If you went to Japan, like Tokyo Metro is still like, uh this is a pretty big box. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I like there's no room for this stuff. I literally mean there is not room on the shelf in your small apartment to have games bigger than that.
0: Okay, yeah yeah, yeah. understood. okay, I got yeah. that because yes, it's it's a little bit um, tighter little bit yeah and then here in colorado or utah
2: at least in tokyo yeah like the studio apartments like you're in the room and you're like is is this it's it? a closet right <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah right right i mean i'm i'm
2: slightly exaggerating but slightly <laughs> just, just a little bit um but yeah those those are going to be big releases we'll see what happens toward the end of the year like i'm i'm sitting on designs of course but they're not polished they're not to they're the not, point i want to release yeah, right, yeah right right yeah okay i mean i i think every designer has Games in some level
0: of development sure. or design or, or however you want to term that, right? So, okay. Yeah.
2: So, give me the dates again for the Tokyo series for Kickstarter. January 6th is when they'll be launching. Um, Again, all three games together and you will definitely get them cheaper on the Kickstarter and you'll get them first.
0: Okay. So, and ballpark that you're shooting for, I understand, production and delay, whatever. So, what are you shooting for, time frame?
2: Uh, for delivery? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I'm gonna shoot for like June, July. Like, That's ambitious. That's inside of six months. I mean, import export was my very first manufacturing project for board games ever. I went through a Chinese manufacturer and like I got it, I got it delivered in what was it, September, August ish time, which in it, like the Kickstarter ended in late February. I felt like that was pretty good. Like now that I know more of what I'm doing, I, I feel more confident saying five, six months. But again, like, I understand that it's always like, oh, they said this and they didn't deliver whatever. I'm always I'm always buffering like an extra two months on top of that on the Kickstarter page. This this I mean I'm just to be transparent about it. You should do this. You should oh, add no, extra months. I, <laughs> I,
0: it's always better to under promise over deliver, right? Exactly. Uh, over promise and under deliver. Right. Exactly. I mean that's just common sense. Yeah. Business wise, right? Yeah. I mean, I've seen some companies give like a two year. Hey, it's going to be delivered, you know, 18 months, 19, you know, whatever, 24 months out. And I'm like, okay, that might be a bit, excessive. that, that will never happen with right. me.
2: I am too OCD about getting stuff out. Like when I had a two week delay on import export, I was freaking out and I'm like, calling and mailing the manufacturer like nonstop like this is this needs to happen now okay
0: so so realistically you're saying roughly give or take a little bit about six months after the kickstarter then
2: yeah yeah all right
0: and give us the time frame that we're looking at for turn market because okay so you know hey you hit your goal so it's going to get printed but Mm -hmm. you were talking during the live stream tonight that pre-orders are going to be available for a certain amount of time and then how's that going to work
2: yeah so i'm going to I, I basically have the files ready so i'm gonna start prepping those with the manufacturer and then um, from there it's really hard to say every time how every project's going to turn out I would say like could get it done in four or five months but let's, let's take that with a grain of salt I, I guarantee you it will be less than like 10 12 months like that that let's just put that on the table but it's it's hard to lock down a date up front and sometimes it's People can't understand that either. Is like every project is unique. Sometimes you have to work with different manufacturers because of price or whatever. Um, I would say four or five months for that one, though. That's what I'm feeling confident in. For
0: delivery or for when the pre-orders close?
2: Well, it'll be both a little bit, I guess, because as soon as the uh, the shipments go out from the manufacturer, I'm going to close pre-orders and then there will be like, you know, this gap between when you can get the game and can't have the game. Um, because they'll go up for sale after that. Gotcha. Okay. All
0: right. So you're talking April-ish maybe is ballpark timeframe for closing the pre-orders, I'm saying?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yep. Okay.
0: All right. Cool. So and you want to tell folks how they can get a hold of you?
2: Yeah. So uh, you can send me an email if you want to just talk or reach out for marketing, whatever hey, you want Jordan, to
0: do. How are you doing? Yeah. All right.
2: You know. I'm uh, Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N, at darkflightgames.com. That's my email. Uh, you can also check out our website where you can purchase games from us uh, or you can pre-order Turn market. Uh, then also we I'm selling some games uh, on Amazon and see if anything else. We have an Instagram and a Twitter at Games. Nick runs the Twitter. I run the Instagram. So if you talk to us on there, know that you're getting one or the other, <laughs> basically on which medium you choose. And I think that's pretty much it. All right. Now, before I get out of here, even though this isn't an official, quote
0: unquote, conversations with heavy cardboard, I figure it's still an interview and it's a long form interview. So I'm going to ask you the same series of six fun yet thoughtful questions have to be quick fire off top of your head. And you're not allowed to sit here and tank.
2: Let's you do it. Ready? I'm ready. All right.
0: How old would you be if you didn't know how old you are?
2: Uh, 72. <laughs> All right. You're the first one
0: that said older than they actually are.
2: Well, I just feel like if you forget how old you are, you'd be old.
0: Okay. All right. Fair enough. All right. If you could master one skill in this, I'm really curious, Mr. You know, I'm a creative. I make sofas. Oh, and we didn't talk about toothbrushes. If you could master one skill that you don't have right now, what would it be?
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, I got to do something obscure like... Normally, I would say something like pottery, but you know, if you can choose anything, let's get really crazy with it. Like, probably, uh, like nautical engineering. That's, let's, let's go with that. Not like unpack that. <laughs> okay. Rapid fire unpack. Yeah. 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 No, nautical,
0: <laughs> like, like building ships, like designing ships.
2: Yeah. I love, like, I want to get into making, I, or, or I like
0: submersibles,
2: or what? yeah, I, I like I want to make a fully electric ship, or make something that's quicker for transport that can go in different mediums. So like that engineering project is is kind of always sitting in the back of my mind, and sometimes I deal with like small electronics. Nick and I were making a bot that would go automated from GPS, go to collect trash from the Great pacific trash pile like that was our project for like six months that we were doing and we made a prototype for it and stuff so sometimes just weird one-off wall things happen and i'm like hey that would be fun to do awesome
0: i dig it all right <laughs> if you could have dinner and conversation with any person in history who would it be
2: i think i'll go with da vinci assuming that one of us can speak a shared yeah, language. yeah uh,
0: uh, assuming you can like no yeah. language barriers and all that so da vinci da vinci i mean just that I mean we're inventor right and among a million other things
2: and his art is gorgeous I mean I I don't have any other painters who I look up to the same way as him but on top of that he has all these engineering feats and like I think if I got in a creative space with him like my mind would explode it would be amazing
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right what are three things that you want more of right now could be physical care could be physical characteristics ideas time anything what would you want
2: three things Three things, okay. Yeah, I mean, let's go with time. I, CRISPR cast nine, like save us all. Let's be, let's be living forever. But well, we'll plus, see if that I happens. mean, if
0: you think you're seventy-two, there's that. Okay, so time's
2: <laughs> number one. Time is number one. Um, I, you know, I always wanted to have a six-pack, <laughs> and like I worked out.
0: Oh, you
2: could just hit
0: when you get home. <laughs> no, you could, no, yeah. no. Okay. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay.
2: I mean, I worked out like literally almost every single day for two years when I was in high school. And like, I got pretty strong, but I am still skinny. Like I can't get Dude, away from it. You're a twig. Let's, let's I don't know. Let's be <laughs> honest. Right. Yeah. it. it
0: are are men considered waifs? Like I I think that's a that, that like no I you're you are you are you are very I'm not spelt. I'm not
2: that that small you're you're spelt okay well I'm all not right. six foot two that's for sure but <laughs> all right so a six pack time what else um I will have a six pack one day it's just a matter of time okay okay see Keep see talking. what I did there I, right. I dig that I like that yeah um let's see number three it can be like an object. Sure. It could be three things you want more of. Could be a physical thing, could be a an idea, it could be uh, yeah, whatever. It The I world mean,
0: is your oyster.
2: I'm going to go with a split between brain power and a private jet. Let's just go with those two. One or the other is fine with me. Okay. I'll call it down the middle. <laughs> right. Any specific private jet? It doesn't matter. I just want to be able to get between like Utah and Tokyo in less than 15 hours. Okay. Right. And, and, and maybe <laughs> have comfort. a hot tub. In <laughs> and, it, right? yeah, yeah.
0: All right. What do you appreciate the most in your
2: friends? Hmm. I think being, feeling comfortable around them and the fact that you can all be genuine is the most important thing. And what I would appreciate the most because that just lets me be me. And that's when I can be creative and cool. Awesome. What is your absolute dream job? I mean, partly would say that I'm I'm doing it in general. It's just being creative. That's always the first thing that I want. But I would say my real dream job would be designing uh, housing, which I'm kind of doing like I'm making shipping container homes that I've designed that are modular that can be for disaster relief or they can be as like an apartment complex or whatever else. And I'm, I'm slowly building toward that. But to be able to solve problems, uh, for the world using architecture is basically what I would say is my dream job. Um, and if that can solve other problems at the same time, like global warming or whatever else, then that's super cool. That's, that's my dream job. Awesome. Good stuff, dude. <laughs> so I'm glad you decided to come out. Dude, thank So, you for and this me. all
0: came about as a whim. So you were like, Hey, it's, it's like super cheap to come out and I'm moving to Tokyo. <laughs> so we probably had to do this sooner rather than later. So I was like, sure, why not? Yeah, we have, we have people over at HCHQ all the time. Well, not all the time, but on occasion. So yeah, I'm glad you made it out, man. There's been a lot of fun. Plus, now you know I have three prototypes of the Tokyo series. So thank you for that. Not really. <laughs> he's not giving them to me. I I tried, but you no.
2: you maybe you can borrow one. All right, that'll
0: work. <laughs> all right, cool. All right, so yeah, turn market. And again, seriously, uh, thank you for. A, being willing to reprint it because I think that's awesome that more people can try that game. And number two, thanks for being willing to... Uh, I don't even... I, donate isn't really the right word, but um, help support the show by giving proceeds of the of the reprint for a game that we genuinely really love mm. and making that available to us. I think that was pretty cool, Lavinia. You didn't have to do that. So thanks, dude.
2: No problem. Like, to be honest, for me, it's like... I, If I could be a patron and afford it, I would just I would just do that at a high level. But because I love the show at the same time, I'm like, hey, this makes sense. Here's how I can give back. Like, let's just do that.
0: Awesome. Very cool. So 20 bucks, free worldwide shipping delivered in 2018. That sound about right?
2: Yeah, that sounds about right. Do not buy a hundred copies to some weird country though. That's not allowed. That is not allowed.
0: <laughs> all right. Is that a legitimate fear that you have like, <laughs> I just had it. Like as Azerbaijan soon as you said that, I was like, wait a wait a second. Like, uh, all right, cool. All right, let's of let's get out of here. Go get some sleep. I got to take you to the airport in a few hours. So, no, seriously, it's a of a lot of fun having you here, and I appreciate the fact that you're a a designer, you're willing to understand your limitations and being creative and thinking outside the box so i'm curious to see what else you you come up with and before you go to tokyo we're gonna skype so you can teach me how to teach import export so we can maybe live stream it down the road
2: yeah that sounds good to me and it's completely reciprocal like i felt like coming here i was like oh i'll take a shot in the dark and see whatever works and like oh i hit the target okay let's go yeah (laughs) so it's been great coming here and like I, i had an awesome time Looking forward to see you at more conventions and yeah, people help out the show because it's pretty rare to find something this genuine in board gaming. Just saying.
0: I appreciate that, man. Cool. All right, y'all. So take it easy. Thanks for listening. And uh, I would say I'll see you or talk to y'all next week, but we're live streaming every day still for the advent. So I'll see you or at least talk to you probably tomorrow as it were, or next week on the show. So Jordan, thanks a lot, man. And all y'all talk to y'all later. All right, so that's it. That was fun. Thanks, Jordan, for wanting to come out here. Yes. And and for flying out. A 60-buck flight round trip from Salt Lake City that made it really, really easy, Yeah, that was really,
1: really awesome that it was so cheap and so easy for him to just jump out here for a couple of days. Right,
0: especially since he's moving to Tokyo sooner rather than later. So, yeah, that was a lot of fun. The streams must go on. And, yeah, so... Let's hop to it, shall we? All right.
1: Tony will be here in a little bit for you guys to start playing Rajas of the Ganjas. Yeah.
0: Rajas
1: Rajas. of the Ganjas. Or something we don't know.
0: (laughs) All right. We'll see you all next week uh, with the episode. Bye, everybody. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Later.